Welcome to episode 49 of The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. On this episode, our guests are Emily Joyce and Cliff Hangst. Emily Joyce is an artist who lives and works in Los Angeles, and her solo show, The Masks, was recently at Inman Gallery in Houston, Texas. There is something about it, right? This like unknowable or hard to articulate thing about painting that is the reason that we as painters continue to do it. That makes it more important than just that it's a commodity and like it has a magic. But yeah, it's like words are gonna fail us probably. Cliff Hangst is a painter and performance artist who lives and works in San Francisco. What I ask of the painting itself is so heavy and big. These big questions. It's a lot that you're asking of art. And I think we do that a lot. We ask a lot about art, especially things that are important to us. You want these answers, and and a lot of times you don't get them. Cliff recently performed in a play by Asher Hartman, Mr. Akita, at Hauser & Worth here in Los Angeles. And the show is going to be traveling north to Banff uh, at UC Berkeley for the additional dates of April 12th through the 16th. So if you're anywhere in the Berkeley area, you should go and get tickets right now. And later in the show, we're going to hear an excerpt of Cliff performing in Mr. Akita. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record magically repaired. And remember that you can listen to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Or you can go to iTunes and search the iTunes store for The People Radio uh, and find us there. Or you can find us at insertblancpress.net. Just click on The People at the top of the page. Emily Joyce and Cliff Hangst, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. So, Cliff, you are performing a piece uh, written by Asher Hartman. Uh, at Hauser and Worth, not Schimmel, here in Los Angeles very soon. And part of that performance includes uh, a painting by Emily um, as a, let's just say, a presence on stage. So what, what was the decision-making process that led to that? Can you tell us about that? Uh, well, it's uh, the piece itself was... I think it was, was it you and Asher that decided on the piece? Yeah, Asher Hartman, who's this amazing playwright and psychic who many people in Los Angeles and elsewhere adore, um, he decided, I think, you can correct me, Cliff, but that he wanted to write a piece for you specifically, mm-hmm. and it started developing the ideas, and he wanted um, a painting to co-star or be another character um, an antagonist or a um, another uh, character. Um, and so he had seen these paintings of mine that are um, optical and, um, well, I'll describe it briefly. It's like top of it's blue, bottom of it's an orange pink color, and the center is white. And um, there's a sort of, I call it a sunburn shape that radiates so you get a funny optical effect when you stand in front of it. So Asher chose that painting and came to my studio and like talked with it and had me talk about it and try to have me uh, actually talk as the voice of the painting, which didn't go well. Mm. And the I was, didn't know that. Yeah, he was gonna actually have me like be the voice of the painting. Oh. And then I like gave it a try and he's like, eh, 
Eh, maybe not. <laughs> Let's just like cliff handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a prominent piece. It's such a, I, I reflect and look at it so often in the play. And I ask so many heavy questions to this painting. And uh, I was even looking at it today and I was like, my God, I've, I've known this piece for so long now. I mean, it's been like about almost two years since we started rehearsing and then the piece entered the, the performance. And, uh, you know, I've just been looking at this piece so long. There's even this beautiful line written in the play about it. And uh, it's, I've, I've reflected and looked at it for so long and it's, it couldn't possibly work with any other piece right now. I mean, that's it. That piece, that painting is such an integral part of this performance for me. Yeah. I mean, I ask questions and I, I, I need things from the painting and yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's interesting for me because I think you and Asher know that piece way better than I do at this point. Like mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a strange it was a strange experience for me to see the play for the first time because they performed it at um, the Tang Museum last fall. So that September of fifteen. Yes, fifteen. Fifteen, and so I was in the audience, and um, it was actually really difficult and and exciting too. But um, it was like getting it was like a gut like I was like melting into my seat mm -hmm. like oh man because um the play is about being an artist and um it's very the language is very abstract and ex uh, it's you know experimental um piece but it is at the core about be what it is to be an artist and it's an intense thing and then to see my painting um embodying this sort of uh, the artwork that you struggle against as an artist or you strive to create and it's also this antagonist and um yeah, it was, and I realized you guys had a way deeper relationship to it than I. And now I feel really detached from that. Piece. Oh, I was just going to ask you, yeah. what, how do you feel still about the painting and the work? That's a good question. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't really feel like I made it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it's such a straightforward piece. Like, there's two colors, and like one shape, well, three shapes maybe, mm -hmm. just negative and positive. When I made it, I I had a whole separate, you know, I was just interested in trying out these color relationships, seeing if you could leave the center of something empty and and what does that mean to have all the activity of the painting on the edges and, the, and actually like there's nothing, like not even paint or anything in, this, in the middle. So I was just interested in some formal questions and some optical questions. And then I realized that, oh, these things we put in the world maybe have even, or maybe we know what we're doing, but it's not in our the tip of our heads <laughs> mm. as artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, exciting. I, my character asks so much of this painting. Yeah. I mean, pleads and begs and asks for answers. And it's, you know, sometimes I get the answer, sometimes I don't. It's yeah. just this presence now in the, the play. And I couldn't possibly... I mean, I, when I look at it now, it is really embedded, and it has scorched my retinas. Mm. It is. It's, it's in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's cool. It is. It's very cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece, too. You know, I, and that makes me think you describing it. Like, I feel like it's gotten colder. Like, it's very, like, um, I don't know if that's bad, but it's just, like, it's untouchable a little bit. Like, mm. I can't really, like, it's it's doing its own thing out there. Like, colder and more alien to you. Yeah, to me. Emily. Mm -hmm. But yes. it seems like, like the opposite for you, oh, Cliff, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. No. 
Yeah, and it seems that it, that seems like a like a hyper version of like what you were describing earlier, like when you make work and it goes out in the world, and then other people describe it and look at it or write about it or whatever, and then it becomes this different thing. So this seems like like a like hyper a, version of that. Yeah, right? hyper yeah. like an experiment specifically designed to see see how that works. You know, where you see your painting child <laughs> like become someone else's maybe mm-hmm. yeah, right? yeah. yeah. that like was with experience for for me as the artist seeing that happen right yeah, and so sure. cliff when it became your baby <laughs> your child like what is what would what is your relationship to it now uh well you know it's uh when we did it a year and a half ago it like I, when I was looking at it, it it meant a little something different to me. But now that is kind of steeped in my brain, and I had to kind of relearn the play. I was not doing the play, and then we picked it back up again. And I thought it would be so much easier to pick it back up, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It really wasn't. I had to kind of retrain and relearn the play. Uh, that now, when I look at it, the it's so beautifully written. But the the dialogue and the answers and what it asks of the of the what I ask of the painting itself is so heavy and big. These big questions about desire and need and want and answers that you'll never get, mm. but that you ask constantly and that you project onto pieces that are that somebody else has made. It's it's kind of crazy to think about that because when you break it all down and you look at a piece in a museum or you look at a piece in you know in a gallery you're looking at it and you're you kind of it take you take it in in your mind and then you kind of absorb it a little bit and then you go elsewhere but when you really sit down and think about it it's a lot that you're asking of art and i think we do that a lot we ask a lot about art especially things that are important to us you want these answers and, and a lot of times you don't get them you're asking this piece and this this guy this nameless guy who really wants these answers sometimes he gets them and sometimes he doesn't and it becomes big it's huge. Sometimes the painting to me when I'm like in bed and thinking about it, it's huge. Wow. It's like six, seven, eight feet wow. wide. Wow. Yeah. Well, Matt and I were talking, well, because Asher, he's great, obviously. And then we've had uh, uh, Zoot was on with Mark Allen. Uh, who's, acted she, who's acted Asher's, in Asher's, one of Asher's pieces. Right. Yeah. And so we were, we were thinking like, oh, do, do we need to like have another show where we talk about how awesome Asher is and we thought like yeah of course yeah because yeah. <laughs> he's awesome yeah in um, fact we should rename your podcast the awesome Asher hour. awesome yeah. Asher yeah. hour yeah. <laughs> we thought about that wow <laughs> but can you go into that a little bit like the experience of working with him sure I mean wow I mean it's like much like Mark Allen my there's uh, a demarcation line in my life it's before I met them and after I met them because there was such a flip into how I was thinking about myself as an artist and what I could possibly do in my potential that I never really recognized until I met these people in my lives. And they were the ones that were like, hey, we see something else in you. We believe in you. We were going to give you an opportunity to do something else. And Asher was one of those guys. He, We, t- we talked about working together and uh, we were going to do, I think, a play or something together and it didn't really quite work out. But he was like, I'm going to write you I'm gonna write you a play, and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I've heard that before. 
you know. You have? <laughs> well, well, I've never heard that. I mean, haven't not, we not all? Well, I'm not Clint Banks. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I should, I should, I should, uh, I should elaborate on that. Not necessarily play, but the people are like, you know, oh, we're going to do this together. We're going right, to do it together. Right, you're right. like, yeah, okay, sure, that's great. And then, of course, nothing happens. And then, you know, Asher just wrote this play. And he said, I wrote it for you. I wrote it with you in mind. You're going to do this. And he sends me the play. And I'm like, freaking out because it's like you know it's like 15 almost 20 pages worth of dialogue and i'm like whoa 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 i mean i'm a i do performance you know i do performance so i don't have to do plays (laughs) you know and it was funny i had to admit to asher something asher had originally written something for me as a jackie gleason type of character for that piece that happened at the gamble house that's right and it was just three four pages of dialogue and i was like oh i don't know man i don't know i'm I'm kind of freaking out here so uh we we didn't get to do it and uh Something came up and I was like, oh, I, I just feel really weird. I, I can't do this. And so that never happened. And then Asher turned around and later, months later, wrote me this like 20 page play. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I should have done that. I should have done that. Well, yeah, the four page. If you had said no to Mr. Akita, then it would have been like 100 pages. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you yeah. Bet you're, like, you're like, now's the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Cut your losses. God. But you know, Asher, you wrote this for me. And I was like, oh, this is. I can't do this. My memory's gone. I mean, this is not just a straight play, but it's kind of an absurdist play. It kind of goes on and it's in prose. And then I switch characters and I talk about other things and I go back to him. I'm asking this painting answers. And uh, he's like, you're going to do it. You'll be fine. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. I'm directing you. You're going to do it. And uh, I remember I looked at my husband and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he's like, um, you know, you've been kind of begging for like a change and for something mm. to happen in your life or a challenge. And it, it's not going to get more challenging than this. Huh. You kind of have yeah. to do this. And after that, I was like, all right, fine, we're going to learn this. And, you know, started off with the first two lines, the first two lines over and over. Then we got bigger and bigger and stretched wow. it out. And then the next thing I know, I've got all this dialogue in my head that I've been just running and running through in my head at work and when I'm talking to people. And it's been all encompassing, but oh my God, it's. It's so exciting and and fantastic to be a part of this. I'm I'm very excited to do this play. But you you've been a pretty busy dude. Like yeah. it's not like you've just been sitting around playing video games. Like you you've been making a lot of paintings and doing a lot of performances. Like yeah, the uh, the the Starlines tour, the Whitney Houston thing, got right. me had me listening to Whitney Houston all day today. <laughs> and I thank you for that. It was a, but I mean, that was uh, also something where you had a lot of uh, like lines and dialogue, correct? Well, yeah, I mean, that was that also came about because of of Mark, and uh, you know, he was like uh, he invited me to do this thing, and uh, I remember Scott and I were just driving around we couldn't find any place in particular to look for and then there was in the apartment above machine project there was an article about whitney houston and her death and about how she died on wilshire boulevard in the in the beverly hilton and from that like you know we we drove past it i'm like oh this is where it started on wilshire from that it became like well what about will it was about land uh landmarks in la mm-hmm and doing a piece with a landmark and I couldn't identify one landmark like one thing couldn't stick to me but a, a street a famous street mm-hmm. like that became more the thing like oh there's more options I, I don't have to write the jokes the jokes kind of come in and fill in mm-hmm. themselves in between this uh, thing so the next thing you know I run this idea can we do a 
a tour in a in a tour bus. Mark's like, oh yeah, sure. And that's the great thing about Mark. He's it's never a no. It's always like, hey, sure, yeah, that's great. We could do that. And then that became this crazy. I can't. I still look at videos of that, and I'm like, Ugh, man, that was crazy. That we yeah. Did when that. you change, I thought it was great. When you though. change into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that uh, how you get off stage in that piece. Yeah. It's like the best. <laughs> it's the best Amazing. stage exit ever. Well, yeah, and that road itself because yeah. it was like well, pretty much the end of that street was yeah MacArthur Park, Park, and you yeah. just wander off. Into yeah. The park. Yeah. Yeah. All the other weirdos. Yeah. Oh no, the shit I saw just in walking from the bus to the other side was crazy. You were the chillest dude in that entire. I saw. They were just like, look at the square over here. This guy. And that's that one's available. People should look that up on the on the interwebs, right? Yes, it's online, and you can look it up. Just Google Cliffhangs Whitney, Houston Machine Project, and it's it's on there. A video will pop up. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. Before we get back to our conversation with Emily Joyce and Cliff Hanks, we're going to hear an audio excerpt of Cliff performing in Asher Hartman's play, Mr. Akita. Desire. Oh, that's what I want. I want your need. You gotta. Spill the wine, take that pearl. Spill the wine, take that pearl. Spill the wine, and take that pearl. Spill the wine, and take that pearl. Take that pearl, oh! <laughs> I was prowling when I felt your need, and I just snatched it. I took your need home and I said, bitch, sit down. And your need said, like hell I will, ball boy. And I said, need, I'm going to smack you back to the day you dropped your candy and your daddy laughed. <laughs> well, your need got real quiet then. I hitched up my belt and I smiled. Gotcha, says I. I went to bed. It wasn't that around midnight when your need got up. Got a bucket, bucket of water and a rope, see? Pulled back the curtains, needy eyes shifted back and forth, determined that it would shrink me, that it would soak and strip and husk me in that little bucket till I was nine inches tall, yeah. When I peeped up, I looked up, I saw your need, I saw your need standing over me. With one eye, I looked up, I saw your need, and I said, Need! You bore me. You're worse than an old episode of Columbo. Well, that's where you're wrong, Columbo. I couldn't have possibly killed you. I was in rehearsal for a play, a play about your demise. It's called You Don't Really Care About Much, Now Do You? Now, so you see, I couldn't have possibly killed you because, in fact, I was murdering you. And that's quite a different thing. Columbo scratches his head. Well, sir, you got me. You really got me. I hate to admit it, but you got me. Now let's get back to our conversation with Cliff Hanks and Emily Joyce. 
Okay, Emily, I have a question for you. <laughs> okay, question. Uh, in reaction to what you just told me about looking at the your painting in the play and uh, your reaction to it, do you do you feel not weird, but what is your reaction to seeing a piece that's a couple of years old, maybe a year or two old? I, I know that when I'm creating something, I'm always trying to kind of push it forward, and then my tendency is to kind of look back a little bit and not shame, but mm -hmm. it's a different feeling. I just want to know how do you feel about looking at this piece after this uh, long? Well, I think it's true that you generally, an artist, uh, is most interested in the thing they're working on at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like always, you always feel like you've made this like incredible breakthrough. Um, but I think for me, looking back, and it's like, uh, so that piece is actually like four, five years old now, even though like it, it was a few years old when Asher started working with it. But um, so it's long, it's old enough now that I, I have this like I think you can um, appreciate them the work that's older and like you don't remember making it anymore, mm -hmm. or at least I don't. And so um, all that like this the thought process, the struggle, the process, all that's kind of gone. And you can for me I can see it as um, what it like what it is just on its own terms rather than um, oh I hired the printmaker to come help me and uh, it was really hard to get that color right and or all those things are uh, it wasn't exactly the execution that I uh, wanted to get that idea across it's more just like it's it's separate from me mm. um, so I think it's I really like looking at older work actually oh you do yeah good. like I was just looking at my like slide binder of my college work and I was like this stuff's great <laughs> <laughs> like I, wow I wish I could make this stuff now <laughs> Do yeah. you do you have a lot of stuff still from back in the day? I don't. Ha I like to destroy stuff. Yeah. How about you? I do too. In fact, I I remember reading about Baldessari destroying all his work after he uh, graduated from art school, and I did the same thing. I just uh, threw it all in a dumpster. Agnes Martin too. She tried to get rid of everything that was before the, you know, the grid simple oh. painting sheet. There's a couple that you know had sold or something that people yeah. hung on to. But yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, I like throwing away work. I just was emptying a storage unit, and um, I just didn't want to pay for it anymore. So I'm like, I'm just going to get rid of all this stuff. And eventually I decided to keep some of it, but I hired 1-800-GOT-JUNK to come in. I, I, like, scratched it up and destroyed it so it was just garbage. And they just came and took it away, and I put it on my resume as collection of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. <laughs> Vancouver, because their their corporation, their corporate headquarters are Vancouver. Wow. So like, so it's right there on the Because it's right. That's yeah. Cool. yeah. So it's that's theirs a good now. One. It's theirs know. now. Whatever yeah. they choose to do with it. So, but Emily, that yeah. painting is was part of a series you were working on at some point, correct? Yeah, that's right. It was um, it's from like maybe 2010 to maybe 2012, I made this series using this sort of template um, that is the image that is in, uh, the, the painting is called Sunburn Split One that we're talking about, the mm -hmm. painting that's in Mr. Akita. Um, and so there's all these different sunburn series that I have. So there's Sunburn Rainbow, where I'm working with different um, prismatic colors in the same oh. form as the other sunburns. And there's like a black and white one, ones where I've like, literally burnt out or torn out the center of the painting mm -hmm. and um so there's probably about 12 of them so i found it as like a really useful 
mo motif or um, format to use to try out some different experiment, formal experiments and did 1-800-GET-JUNK? Uh, they did not get, get any, any of those. Okay, that's no, no, good. No, no, no. Those, <laughs> they did not. They got like, yeah, some, well, anyway. Well, it might be a good time to talk about your show that's coming coming up in Houston. Happening um, in it's Houston. It's currently happening. It'll be, uh, it, it ran or runs from January 13th to March 3rd or 4th in Houston at Inman Gallery. Okay, so this show should be down by the time this down episode okay. is up, but yeah. But My recent way, show in Houston. Yeah. But those pieces are uh, theatrically related, are they not? Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, I'd love to. Um, so after seeing what we've been talking about, after seeing Cliff and um, Mr. Akita and having this experience that I described of seeing my painting as a character in the play, and that was um, it was an amazing experience and and, and tricky. And I I got back to making work, and I was pretty stuck on what to do. And um, but I realized that I love this idea of that a painting could be a character or something different than just an an object. So I decided to make paintings that were specific characters that I got to decide or control who they were or what their role was rather than um, having someone, you know, assign a character to it. So I approached this whole body work that's in the show in Houston. This show's called The Masks. That's a sort of nod to theater. Um, I approached them all as individual characters and the installation is sort of um, uh, salon style, but they're each painting is different. It's not a series like The Sunburns. Mm. And they kind of play off each other. Some are really close together on the wall. Some are spaced funny or, you know, whatnot. So that they kind of, I thought of the show itself as the as the finished piece rather than, I mean, each piece is individual, but you really need to see them at least once all together to get the full meaning of it. Um, and that is definitely like a theater metaphor for me. Like you can't have... Um, you know the villain without also having the hero and they you know the the the, the plot relies on characters so it was it, I, I approached it all in my mind as like um as theater um like specifically uh comedia comedia dell'arte yeah, yeah right yeah um and it's reliance on stock characters and exactly. imp improvisation at the same time exactly right? yeah exactly yeah um I mean, I've, I've had this long in running interest in the Renaissance in general, and that's like another comedic tie we have, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and so in in that study of the Renaissance, like learning about Commedia dell'arte and, and the, char the, like, the character of the Harlequin and um, these tropes that um, – I could go on for a long time about it, but it's not. That well, the thing that I and I and I read a little. I read a little piece. I think it was in a press release from the from the Houston uh, uh, venue about how you were. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you were relating painting to Commedia dell'arte in that there are there are these stock things in Commedia dell'arte, which are like you know these characters, mm -hmm. right? And then there's improvised conversation, right? And in painting, there's the stock things like a frame, canvas, uh, paint, et cetera. And then there's an improvis improvisation that happens. Yes. Yes. I, I think it's like a great metaphor for painting because uh, you have like exactly as you said, the, the set sort of parameters of painting. Right. And then um, 
you can obviously improvise within that to make something different. So like in Commedia dell'arte, there's set characters. There's also a set plot, basically. Like it's going to be like these characters end up getting married after, um, you know, beating getting, the shit out of each other. Sh- but within that, it's all it's all improvised. So right. the characters like it was especially like the smaller characters, the like less um, primary roles that got to just like make shit up and um and they were like the most popular with the with the audience because they were the funniest and the so it, the plot was always set but there was no dialogue set or anything so mm-hmm. I thought it's just really a nice so I'm attracted to Commedia for the formal things and I mean how how many painters haven't been like Picasso and Watteau and like how many paintings of, of Harlequin are there that we know and love um, but and also many, for the metaphor but how many are made out of lycra so that's you know, right. yeah, <laughs> you've got lot. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was an especially nice touch thank you yeah. <laughs> thanks <laughs> so I mentioned that uh, I like the renaissance and, and I did this um, I did a stand up I, I challenged myself kind of like you were talking about with Asher challenging you to do stand up comedy because I always wanted to do mm. it uh-huh. and um Wait, did Asher get you both to do it? No, no. I, okay. I know. Wouldn't that be funny? We should it just give him credit. Like Let's just give him credit. Would do, yeah. I've always said I, I, you know, was like, oh, I should have. I always wanted to. I, I could have done that. So I finally made myself do it. And I, for me, what I loved it. It was amazing. But I'm not gonna pursue it any further because it's You're such not? hard work. It That's is so hard. Like my making a painting is hard enough. Like I, can't, I don't have time and energy and and it's like. I don't know, like you're you're rehearsing like a madman right now and in your head. And like I was like that, too. Like I had the flashcards all over the kitchen and I was because I wasn't going to let myself not like do it as best that I could. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's you up there. It's not your work. It's actually your body and yeah. your voice and your, you know. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that we're both, you know, kind of started not started as painters, but we're, we think of ourselves as artists, and then we've had this interest in comedy. Yeah, it's so almost it was, interest. Yeah. It's almost easier to approach it like comedy as kind of a side gig because if you if that was it for me, if comedy was it for me, oh, well, it would it would kill me physically. It's it is hard. It's hard, I think, to do comedy. I mean, people make it seem easy, and then every once in a while you see somebody on stage, we're like, wow, that's great. But man, I mean. Writing jokes and getting the timing right and working with the audience and yeah, ooh, man. I uh, went so when my friend uh, and studio mate Ken Ehrlich, he was doing a um, TV show at K Chung um, uh, for the Hammer Biennial a few years ago, and he's like, "I'm going to do comedy TV. Will you do it?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, crap! I have to say yes <laughs> because I have to try it." But it was uh, so I consulted with some people I knew were either like this guy taught improv like okay so i'm gonna do 15 minutes and this guy's like you are not doing 15 minutes (laughs) you do five minutes at the most and then get out of there and it's incredible five minutes is like oh my it took me like eight weeks yeah yeah it is yeah yeah i got told the same thing gotta do five minutes a beginning a middle and an end and then Run off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much have you done, Cliff? Like proper, have you done like proper stand up? Like, I was doing it for a while. There was this really amazing place in uh, the Mission on uh, Valencia Street, and it was called, um, uh, it, it was the, um, God, it's, it's escaping my mind, but it was this, it was Lost Weekend Video. It was a video store. <laughs> and in wow. the basement, they had a comedy, 
uh, place set up. And it was some amazing people went through that place. Um, uh, this guy, George Chen, who's in L.A. now, and also Anna Sarangina, who's also in L.A. now, they both kind of started there. And they, um, they, you know, they would have these open comedy mics and we would, I would just get up there and do my thing. And I remember being good sometimes and just being horrible uh, other nights but it's man it is hard work i had to finally stop because i was like oh man i could feel myself dying like literally dying <laughs> it's a lot more unforgiving than yeah. performance art that's it people is. are a lot less willing or let's say people are a lot more willing to watch you do a 45 minute performance piece and sit silently respectfully for sure right for sure yeah you definitely people aren't you know, other artists and people who want to see performance are, are willing to take a chance and be patient. And you don't get that in comedy. You get a mic and yeah. you get people with booze in them and they're just like this. Their arms are crossed and they're just waiting to laugh. And, you know, waiting for you to fail. Wait, yeah. Oh, man. You can smell it. Like, you know, you, you start sweating on that stage. You're like, oh, God. that failure is just like a perfume. I don't want anybody <laughs> to smell this right now. It's, Oh, it's intense, man. But you did it more than once. There must have been yeah. something appealing about that idea, like that uh, in, engaging in something a little more, like more intense. Yeah. I where was where like, the stakes are higher. I yeah. Guess, yeah. Right? That's kind of what I wanted. I was like, yeah, you know, performance is kind of, I need to take it to another level and see if I can actually do comedy. And I tried years ago uh, in, in San Francisco at this place called Josie's Juice Joint. <laughs> and they used to have open mics there. Oh my God, I was terrible. I got uh, I was doing prop comedy. And hey, hey, I love prop comedy. <laughs> Wait a minute now. And the, sure, and it, it doesn't like carrot top. I'm like three, four minutes into the 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 act, the the host grabbed all my stuff and just scooped it into my pillowcase oh, and handed it to me and said, "Everybody, give him a hand." And oh. I was like, "Oh, the the act is over." <laughs> it was really humiliating. Oh. So then after that, I was like, well, I'm going to do comedy, but it's going to be a little weirder, a little more. And yeah. So you've brought that experience uh, doing stand-up into your performance work, like more? Like what it, what you learned there? I, into I always, when I did performance, I was it was always, there was always an edge and an element of humor in it. It wasn't very, it, it wasn't overt, it wasn't obvious, but I always kind of tried to include it in that. And even and that's, I think that's also why I, I enjoy acting on stage because you know you get this, the lines are there and there's wiggle room and you can kind of project whatever you want to do on it, and you can use the comedy elements to kind of make your point known, and uh, that's also why I like doing this Bobby Coupon thing for that, that I've been doing this lounge act that I've been working on yeah. uh, over at Machine Project as well. And uh, and it's because, you know, I was trying to, somebody somebody suggested it. They were like, uh, oh, Lucas, Lucas Wrench. He said, you know, have you ever thought about doing a lounge act? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think I got a pretty good voice. I could do a lounge act. But the lounge act was great because you can just take it straight there. Like in, in oh, and, and uh, I was trying to like, kind of evolve and act out of it. And Mark, again, Mark Allen, was the one that was like, well, you should do it as more a um, a motivational speaker. Then that way 
and then after that, it clicked. I was like, oh, if I do it as a straight motivational speaker, then the jokes kind of fill in the gaps by themselves. And so that, to me, is my comedy thing now, the, the lounge act. You're listening to The People in K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. And you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And there you can subscribe to the show. You can rate and review the show if you'd like as well. Yes, please do that. And you can also go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Emily Joyce and Cliff Hangst. Cliff, I wanted to ask you um, about your how you think about the relationship between um, performance and painting, since you do both and... I dabble in performance and do painting. Like, is painting performative? Is it an opposition? Or Do you think about them? That's a good question, and I wish I had a really profound answer for that, yeah. but I don't. I mean, it's almost as if when I think about it, like I compartmentalize the two. Yeah. And I'm sure that there's aspects of one that creep onto the other, but I can't – if if I want to talk about – if I want to think about painting, I just go to my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband's Scott Hewaker, and he's a great painter. But all those kind of weird questions about painting, I'll always kind of throw them past him mm. because he's strictly thinking about painting. Whereas when I'm painting, I feel like I feel like I'm still a dilettante or a dabbler, mm. and he's the real deal. And it's funny. I, I know I've, I've been painting for years, but I still that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. However, saying that, there is an aspect to going in the studio, to doing a ritual, to kind of get into yeah. that past, that part. And, Do you and, wear a, a certain clothing in the studio? Yeah, just anything that's... Any, you don't have like a set cost, like costume? Or, no, no, yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. a costume, but it's it's usually dirty, something dirty. <laughs> feel comfortable enough to dirty up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, but there is a thing, you know, I mean... I'm, I don't know if you do it. It's you can never just go in the studio, right? It's always like you have to go in and you have to circle kind of around, circle around, and you do stuff to kind of get to there. And then after a couple hours, you do it, and then it becomes mm-hmm. automatic. Yeah, that's true. I for me, I when I get to studio, I um, have to sweep. So I like because we're I'm right on Glendale Boulevard, which is like basically being on the freeway. Beautiful building, but right on the on the sidewalk, and so we get all this stuff that comes in under the door. So I get like the big push broom and I sweep the sidewalk in front of the studio and then I like get rid of that stuff and then I can start. And then I, well, I have a specific apron I put on. So I was thinking like for me that that's performing. Mm. Like it's like doing uh, getting into the role or whatever. But I think when I'm actually mm, putting the paint on the surface or whatever, I'm, I mean, maybe it is performative, but I'm not thinking that way. It may be doing it. I may be like acting out in a way, but mm. like um, – I'm not consciously trying to like be the painter or something. But you're, right? You are. There's somewhere in your mind as a painter, you're thinking about the other people looking at this thing. Yeah. Right. And how it's going to be presented. I definitely, yeah, for sure. Have those voices and you try to keep those voices away as much as possible, right. but they mm. get in there. Um, but I don't think about, Oh, if they could see me now, <laughs> like making this gesture <laughs> or yeah. something. But it, you will you think about the object and the object's re- re- uh, reception in the world and right. what that'll mean or what that'll do or not do. Right, and that's like a preemptive performance. Yeah, maybe in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's a it's a, di- a script of some kind. Yeah, 
But you still have to get to that part where you're not overtly thinking about it. You have to kind of let it go. That's I, right. I do that in performance sometimes where you you have general ideas of what you want to do, but then you have to, you know, you have to let them go and then go for it. And then if it goes in that other direction, which Scott also taught me, you have to go with it and do your best and try to work your way out of it because that's always been the hard thing about painting for me. You know, I, I want to go in there and just go from A to B to C, and then it, sometimes it goes from A to B to F, and then you're like, oh, right. i got to back up. i got to – it's not working out, but then you have to kind of go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that makes – I mean, I feel like Mr. Akita is about a lot of – some of that stuff too, like the painting having its own will um, sometimes. I think like Elizabeth Murray – I'll misquote her, but she talked about um, that – kind of push-pull between the artist and the painter is like mm-hmm. um, a boxing match and that but she said like in the end she always gets like the knockout punch against oh. the painting so she almost saw it as yeah. adversarial too you know? yeah or I think she says like it could be like a dance or like a, a boxing match mm. or, you know you're throwing punches and it's fighting back and then at the end you you get the knockout mm, that's the good art. yeah i like that yeah i saw her years ago she lectured at the art institute oh really and it was Aww. never like her work was never i can never really quite understood it or got it but i loved her lecture yeah she was great oh she's a, yeah i love yeah. her work yeah who who do you look at a lot of painters or do you is that um, like you feel like it's scott's terrain <laughs> well no i do i do i look at a lot of painters it's it's there are so many new painters and I'm glad, I'm glad for my job where I work at, there's a lot of younger guys who are always talking about painters. And they're always bringing up these names of like, oh, you know, Catherine Bradshaw. You don't know Catherine Bradshaw? Or Eli Whitney. Eli Whitney, you know, he's that guy. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like You like cheesecake? Oh, yeah. oh, you like cheesecake? Come on, he did that thing. I'm like, oh, I have no idea who these are. So I'm grateful for the younger generation to kind of keep turning me on to That's like what's going on in the... Yeah. But yeah, I do. I do. I I tend to look though back. Yeah, me too. Than me too. Forward with painting. I don't know why that is. It, it's almost like the history is reassuring to me more than the what's going on in contemporary. Yeah, maybe it's like anything. It's like 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 the current like current life. It's so hard to be in the moment we live in right now. Like you know, globally, politically, and everything. But like you can read about fall of rome and it's like super interesting (laughs) so to look at like old painting you're not like oh man why did Raphael get all the attention that guy's a prick you know like you can leave all that behind oh he got a grant (laughs) yeah Yeah. and just you can just see though the work yeah yeah Yeah. and ask i'll ask a lot of it yes yes definitely you had said uh cliff that um you want all your painter friends to come see Mr. Akita. Can you, why exactly? What's uh, that? Well, it's, it's, that's a good question. And it, it brings up, he, he, there in this play, they bring up a lot of stuff about art that people don't want to talk about, about money and culture and the way, uh, the, the, the way kind of aspects of like how artists are made and that it isn't open for everybody. You know, a lot of times with artists, they do come from money and they do come from privilege and that does affect the work, but nobody likes to talk about that. It's almost like it's a hands-off thing. Like uh, we want to think that it all kind of organically sprouts up, but it doesn't always work that way. There aren't any like real... I know it's it's I, I know of a couple of guys that are like that like like you know I know Chris Johansson 
Um, he used to be in San Francisco. That guy was amazing. Chris used to roll up in his skateboard and go paint over my paintings in the studio and then leave. <laughs> and I would look at the paintings and I'm like, see, why am I even bothering? Because this guy has it. This guy has it. And I don't. And I want to know what that thing is. And, you know, it's it's just one of those questions. There's very few times where, where it is like fully formed organically coming out where you see that, wow, this guy has got it. He's a great painter. He can do it. And it it's a romanticized idea. I realize that. But, I mean, just to talk about painting and to, in not the nicest ways sometimes in this play, is refreshing for me. It kind of cuts the bullshit out of it and makes you, I don't know, it, it makes it easier to address the work and to look at the work and to hear somebody saying things about painting in the art world, it's not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. I think still a lot of people don't like to talk about it. Well, give us a couple more things. Like what other like issues with painting specifically are brought up in this piece? Oh, you know, money, class, culture. Right. Um, also want and desire, asking questions, wanting answers from a painting and not getting it. You know, we look at paintings all the time. They're always in our lives, but... And we make, we make art on a daily basis. But really, what is it about painting, especially painting for me? What is it about painting that makes you ask these questions? Why is the recorded evidence of someone moving their hand across the surface still, for me, can pass over any video or event or even performance it's it's an unanswered question yeah and you want an answer for it you know because you can get answers from everything nowadays instantly but you still can't really quite get answers from paintings yeah, that's wonderful isn't it, it is it? Like, it is well it seems like it's like a it's one of the most problematic forms to participate in because it is it is the form that is the most uh accessible for a capitalist art world, right? Mm -hmm. It's the thing that can be moved around for money the easiest, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're doing it and you love it, or you're doing it and you don't love it or whatever, you're doing it like it's a thing where you're like, why why am I doing why am I doing this? Like this is like the most money oriented form of art that I could be participating in. But I but I like it. So there there's a there's a problem there, right? Yeah. Well mm -hmm. I think you like the other questions that Cliff raises, that Mr. Akita, the play raises, it's like there is something about it, right? This like unknowable or hard to articulate thing about painting that is the reason that we as painters continue to do it. That is that it makes it more important than just that it's a it's a commodity and like the, these these uh, market or or money issues that has a, it has a magic. Yeah, it's like words are going to fail us probably, but that's what Mr. Keita is so incredible because Asher, his use of language, like he doesn't say, and the secret is this, <laughs> but he throws all these images um, and words at you that it, you kind of understand it, but you can't grasp it. You know, you mm -hmm. kind of like your gut, you understand like the mystery in a way, yeah. but you, I couldn't explain it back to you. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. A lot of Asher's work is like that, I think, where you completely comprehend but um you can't articulate yes. yeah i mean i think a lot of asher's work too it's like you leave the performance and you really think you've got it but at the same time you're as soon as you leave you're like oh but there's i have so many questions yeah. about this work 
but it the it's the questions that are really what you're leaving with, which is wonderful, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, to ask kind of a generic uh, radio show question, like, and I'll put this up to the both is Emily and Cliff, like, has has your work like based on this piece, Asher's piece, like has your approach to painting or your perception of painting changed because of it? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. It it totally changed. How, how? Well, for me, I mean, the whole way I approached the last year and a half of work, as I described for the show for Houston, I I would have never um, been interested in that, that the Commedia dell'arte and the characters and this sort of thing I've talked about previously. And also I've, I've gotten way more, um, I'd say astute or, um, I've, I've, be- I've become way more interested in the installation of my work in the, in the, the whole, um, and taking care of every like little nuance of how it's seen and realizing that, um, for me, like I used to make a painting and the painting existed in of itself. And now it's like, um, I have to, it can't just be the object. It has to be all, it has to be the whole um, show or installation or body of work um, or else it's it's just not quite enough for like me the anymore. the entire thing is a performance, like the in installation, way, the context of Yeah, the I mean, galleries. that's the way I talked about the show at Inman Gallery in Houston. It's like, it was a whole thing that um, needed all the components. And I even, and I made these little sculptures for the show too, mm-hmm. really playful and um improvised very like casual and maybe surrealist a little bit and and for me to even like show those I couldn't figure out how to show them because I knew how the paintings were going to be shown because of this framework of characters that I was going with I couldn't figure out how to show the sculptures until I thought about it in terms of theater so I decided and I realized that the sculptures were not the characters, but the actors. Like like Cliff, you would be a sculpture. Like who are you in your real life? You're in three dimensions and you exist in the world. And your character in Mr. Akita is it is contained within a, a, a you know a type of character and only exists on stage. So for me, like that was the only way to figure out the sculptures was through the what Asher and Cliff and that experience taught me of, of um, theater. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Cliff? How did your work? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for me, um, just seeing it through this main character's eyes and wanting these answers, and I hate to sound corny, but there is this magic thing that happens with a piece of art, and you want you want answers from it. It means so much more to you. When you look at it, when you're standing in front of it, you're taking it all in, and it's going through your mind and your body and your you're asking all these questions about it. And it's a beautiful thing to be involved with something that you don't really know why. I mean, somebody points out a painting that you like and you have to explain why you like it. It's kind of weird because you're trying to put in words of like, well, it's this and that, and you're describing it visually. It's kind of like describing perfume. You can't really talk about it. You have to, you can only use words or visual words to talk about perfume, but you can't really talk about what you're smelling. Not really. You're kind of breaking it down so you can think about it. And that's kind of, I, it's made me appreciate painting more. Um, it's made me appreciate the making of painting. And to, um, I don't know, to have something like that that you can't really fully grasp is, is great. That's what it's all about. Well, Cliff, Emily, thank you thank so you much so for joining much. us on The People. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The People in Kaechung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. And you can find us on iTunes, again, by searching for The People Radio. You can subscribe. You can rate the show there. And you can even leave us a nice review. Or you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And you can find us wherever you find podcasts, including on Stitcher, SoundCloud. And I have to say, we really do appreciate all of our listeners and the fact that you're listening out there. It's so great. Yes. Thank you for doing that. And you can find us on Facebook and please like us on Facebook. That helps us out quite a bit. Uh, and our theme music as always is Ockfifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a song from our guest Cliff Hanks and his husband, Scott Hueker's band Troll. It's from their first and only album, Que Son Los Trolls y En Que Nos Ayudan. And the name of the song is Dinah Soar. It's pretty good. Is there any art you hate? <laughs> I hate the following Los Angeles artists. By the way, respect. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, we're not talking shit about Raphael. I just want to like... say one more thing about Donatello, okay? He's a Is dick. Thing on? <laughs> that guy. I used to share a studio with that motherfucker. He I left heard. his bananas in the refrigerator for weeks. I heard he was a fucking prick. <laughs> That's true. No disrespect to Donatello. I like the work. I like the work. It's just like, personally, I don't like the guy. That's all, that's all there is to it. What a dick.